0: But I don't I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all. So that for me is enough. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. I'm James. We are fully in the middle of the Middle Eastern swing.
1: This is the part of the year where they're playing usually on four continents, sometimes all at the same time. This is a time of year, last year, where Iga Svyantek
0: took flight. She took hold of the WTA and ran away with the rest of the year. And it seems as though this could
1: be a similar jumping-off point for her this year. (laughs) Right. It might be starting again. It might not. There were moments in this season, in the past few months, where she seems a little vulnerable. She lost in the fourth round of the Australian Open to Elena Rabakina. And you see a couple of potential rivals for Iga emerging. We thought maybe Jesse Pegula, Elena... Uh, Irina Sabalenka, perhaps. And she, I mean, she just squashed all her opponents like a bug this week, including Pagula. Right. I don't
0: think this result in Doha means that there isn't going to be a competitive rival for her this year. Right. Sabalenka didn't play her. Rabakina didn't play her. Surface is different. Conditions are different. There will be no lazy narratives here.
1: Uh, Okay, let's talk about what we actually saw happen, not what we think will happen in the future. Good, that's a good start. She started off in Doha against Danielle Collins. This was their first match since Collins beat Iga in straight sets in the uh, 2022 Australian Open semifinal, which was a crushing loss for both Iga and Ash Barty, which she wrote about in her book, uh, only because Ash wanted to play Iga in the final, and she and Danielle reportedly have a, what did she say? A challenging relationship? <laughs> anyway, people saw this as kind of a grudge match. Whatever it was, ego won 6-1, six, 6-love. Six, Gets a walkover from Belinda Bencich, who won the Abu Dhabi title in the previous week. Bencich
0: looked at that matchup and was like, I'm good. <laughs> right. And she was back the following week. Winning today in Dubai against Kostiuk.
1: Three hours and 27 minutes. We'll get to that in a little bit. So back to Doha, Iga gets Kuda Matova in the semifinals, who beat Coco Golf. Coco was like, you know what? I'm good. I don't need the love one beatdown because that's exactly what Kuda Matova got. And then in the final, she sees Jesse Begula, who beat her at United Cup, which seemed like a pretty devastating loss for Iga at the time. And Peggy got at least three games.
0: All in one set because the last one was a bagel.
1: Yeah, so Iga played three matches to win this 500 series title. She scored a bagel in each of those three matches. You said
0: to me privately off air that you simply cannot win a title by
1: just winning three matches. <laughs> I said that's not enough. Call somebody, call a ball kid to play a fourth match with her or something. Uh, it. I. Re- I was just joking. Obviously, it happens where opponents pull out. Uh, but I was like, "What was she on the court for 90 minutes and won that title? That United Cup match between Iga
0: and Pegula was one of the few matches this year where we were watching together.
1: <laughs> yes, because of, well, our schedules are so different and the time zones have mm. been challenging. And that
0: match was over in a flash. It It rang a few alarm bells. Right. But in part two in Doha, wow, Iga just course corrected.
1: Yeah, I, clearly these conditions suit her well. Indian Wells, a slower hard court, suits her. I mean, there are few courts that don't. But we're leading into a stretch of the year where she has been so dominant in recent years, and the clay season is right around the corner. She's got a lot of points to defend. But she has got an iron grip on this number one ranking for a little while.
0: After the match, she used her winner's speech to still talk about the war in Ukraine, referencing her win last year as the first tournament she played after the war started. Her words.
1: Yeah, she's been one of the most vocal players who is not from Ukraine, uh, talking about the war this this entire year. And there's discourse online, right, about uh, Ukrainian players, including Alina Svitolina, calling for the IOC to ban Russian and Belarusian players from the Olympics, and again, like, been hesitant to, like, stake a claim on any one side of this, but I just kind of urge uh, grace for Ukrainian players who are dealing with a lot of trauma and loss, and they may be right, they may be wrong, but this is kind of like a time to look past that, I think.
0: In terms of what,
1: like if if you don't like their tone or their positions about Russian players, I, I get it. I don't really agree with banning Russian players either, but I also don't think like attacking them is the way to do it. There's also the response from
0: somewhere. It's a little bit of side eyeing, something like what Iga did, or the constant uh, cries from Svidalina, etc., Kostyuk, etc., as being. Outsized compared to other conflicts that are going on in the world. And why is this one so prominent in people's mind's eye? Why is this the one to take action on?
1: And I get that, and I agree with it, but I also, you know, Ukrainian players are the ones actually affected by this, so obviously they're going to be more vocal about it. But there are real political reasons that the UK, for example, has been so hardline about this versus other conflicts. It's easier to take a hard stance against a country that isn't an ally uh, right right that is basically your adversary i think what i mean to say overall is that if you don't have a personal stake sometimes it's okay just to to lay back you, you like you don't have to have an expressed opinion about everything
0: mm. well where i land is there are myriad valid perspectives for people to have Yeah. On any number of different things when it comes to this issue. And that's where I keep my distance because who am I to tell somebody else that their feelings are invalid? Yeah. You know, people always tell us, you know, stick to the sports, stick to the sports. And yes, there is politics in sports. That's what we preach ad nauseum on this show. But there are times, I guess, where you're not adding anything to the
1: discourse. At this moment, the politics feel a little bigger than me, like a little beyond me. So this is not to say, we're not talking about the war itself, right? We're mainly talking about how tennis is responding to it. And I don't feel like I'd be adding much of anything. Back to tennis. Shut up and dribble.
0: Mm. Maria Sakari. This is a a recurring segment at this point.
1: What The Maria Sakari semifinal segment? Yes. Some uh, alliteration
0: one. for you? Uh-huh she she catches so much flack on the internet for being
1: consistent. <laughs> it is wild well, she is care to say more well, she is incredibly consistent that is true. The internet just wants her to win more. She wins frequently, but she's not winning the titles is the problem. It's better than sucking excuse me <laughs> <laughs> she she gained this reputation for being the semi-final queen, and it appeared that she was turning the tide a bit last year. Last year she reached four finals. she didn't win any titles, but it seemed like there was a marked improvement. And then this year, she loses the semi-final in Doha to Pagula, which is, uh, you know, no shame in that, a top five player. But in Linz, Austria, she had a great chance to win this tournament.
0: Listen, if I'm Maria Sakkari, I do not enter any of these smaller tournaments. Because <laughs> before the draw was even released, there the keyboard warriors say, well, if, if she can't
1: win here, she might as well retire. <laughs> right. Which is so... I mean, yeah, she desperately wants to win titles, but she's also making a ton of money and she's doing a job that's really cool. She lost to Petra Martic in the
0: semifinals. There is no... There is zero shame in that. I am a yes, Petra Martic truther. I know, but... She who this possesses not, the beautiful game.
1: This is not 2019, 2018. Obviously, she still has tons of talent, but you reach... Wow. What? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but you reach the semifinals, and the highest ranked player left is Martic at number 34. Uh, people expect you to win the title. That's just the burden that comes with being a top 10 player. What happened was, Martic won that semi, and... Anastasia Potapova wins the title, beating Martich. That's her second career title. My co-host here tried to um, correct my pronunciation, and he may be right, but I listened to the way that Anastasia pronounced her own name on the WTA website. Who is he? Who is this person you. here? I, me? Yeah. <laughs> That's how she pronounced it. Okay. Now, it could be an anglicized version of her name to make it easier for us, but I'll go by what she said.
0: This week in Dubai, Iga's there again, clobbering up on folks, and we get this stat from Hurley Tennis that the five longest WTA matches of the year, and this is still mid February, have happened in the last three days. Three of them in Dubai, and two of them in Merida. Kirstea beating Hadad Maya in three hours and 29 minutes being the longest. The aforementioned Benchich win today over Kostiuk being the second at three and 27. And the the fifth longest was McNally beating Zhu in three hours and 15 minutes in Merida. All right. That's a lot of time on court.
1: Who has time for that?
0: That's a lot of time spent watching tennis. (laughs) I don't know how folks do it. I don't know how folks play it. I don't know how folks watch it. Which
1: sounds crazy. (laughs) From somebody who has a tennis podcast. The the misogyny. Men's uh, matches lasting five and a half hours, six hours. You are doing
0: way too much. You know that's not what I mean. I'm just saying that as I get older, my attention span is waning.
1: Uh, I mean, I am not watching a three and a half hour match at Dubai. I'm just not. Uh, Dubai this year is a 1000 level tournament. Last year was a 500. Doha and Dubai switch off every year. Uh, Ostapenko is the defending champ at Dubai. That's going on currently. But let's go back again.
0: You do this thing when you... I just noticed this when you're talking about tournaments. Just then you say Ostapenko is the defending champion at Dubai and not in Dubai. In of? At, well, no, but sure, it, at is your go-to. And it's, it pings with me because it's the one I would never use.
1: Okay. And I'm not saying it's wrong. Is it like a baseball thing?
0: I don't know. I mean, she's physically there in the local... You know, I feel like you're at a restaurant, Uh, you're you're in a country
1: at Fenway.
0: Well, I guess you're at a tournament.
1: Yeah, let's not have a a whole preposition discourse. (laughs) It's not interesting. And then if you learn the English major, if you learn a second or third language, it becomes impossible. Switching over to the men, they've been in South America, Europe, North America. We got Sebastian Baez. Uh, A winner in Córdoba, Argentina. In France, Montpellier. This is what I like to call the Gael Monfils swing. Montpellier champ is Yannick Sinner, beating Cressy in the final. Montpellier
0: leading into Marseille.
1: Yes, the Open 13. Yannick has seven titles now. Four of them are on indoor hard courts. Interesting, huh? And Maxime Cressy is already at his fourth career final. But the big story is... Oh my god, who cares? (laughs) But the big story these past few weeks in men's tennis, I feel, has been the emergence of Wu Yibing winning his first title at Dallas, the first Chinese man. I'm not... (laughs) I didn't even say anything.
0: I didn't say anything. I'm sorry that I've gotten... Gotten in your head with this. Okay, I
1: haven't changed the way I talk, so maybe you change the way you listen. How about that? Well, maybe, maybe I will just
0: have to do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Would you like to talk about the tournament? No, no, no. Go, go, go. Wu Yibing wins Dallas. In Dallas. We just cut off... In Dallas. We could just cut off the preposition. In is also a preposition. No, no, I'm saying wins Dallas. Anyway, first Chinese man to win an ATP title, the first Chinese man to reach a final... And now the first Chinese man to beat a top 10 player, Taylor Fritz.
0: The qualifier that's important there is man. Yes. Because so many of the headlines were first Chinese player to win a tennis mm-hmm. tournament. Male player. <laughs> and we know that that's not the case. We've, We've had well many, many Chinese women
1: do that. Absolutely. Li Na, the trailblazer, but... Her contemporary Zhang Ye. You now we have a host of Chinese women competing right now, some of whom are poised to like really jump off. He had wins over Shapovalov,
0: Manorino, the number one seed and soon to be fifth ranked player in the world, Taylor Swift. <laughs> and finally, a three set final over John Isner, all three sets being tiebreaks, saving what, four
1: match points? You know, God bless Wu, because he got people to watch a John Isner match.
0: Just when you think this era may have ended, <laughs> here is John Isner in a final again. And we get word today that Riley Opelka is coming back next uh, week. Great. So,
1: awesome. I'm tre- so excited. <laughs> the trees
0: stay winning.
1: Well, Isner hit 44 aces. In a three-set match, Wu hit seven. And Isner still only had a slightly better first serve winning percentage than Wu by like three percentage points.
0: Do you know what the reason is for that? Why? Because John Isner is one of the worst returners in the history of tennis, male (laughs) or female.
1: Wow. Really?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I have not fact-checked that. I could be wrong.
1: I guess it's subjective uh, if you're not going by return stats. But I hear you. He's also, uh, I think, 38 years old. You can tell he was never that quick. But he's really not quick right now. But Wu is an excellent returner. So watching the highlights of this match was, was actually exciting. Because Wu was making magic. He saved four match points, some of them on Isner's serve. There was a match point at 8-7 in the third set tiebreak where Isner had a volley where he could have ended the match. And you know what? Poor technique really got him. He wasn't in position. He was trying to hit sort of this, uh, you know, an overhead, but the ball was too low. Dumped it in the net. You see this on Twitter all the time
0: where somebody screen captures a pivotal moment in a match. And the purpose of it is the score is right there on the screen. You see where the player is on court and you see where the ball is and what shot they're attempting to hit. And if you just look at that still, it would seem like a 99% probability that the player in that position would go on to win the point. Mm -hmm. And so it's done to emphasize just how shocking it is that this player lost from this position. (laughs) Like we see we see it all the time. Yeah. Like when Medvedev was up a set and two sets and a break. And what, Love 40 against Nadal at the twenty twenty two Australian Open and there was a a freeze frame. (laughs) And it's like, can you believe he lost from this position? Mm -hmm. You know like
1: images that precede unfortunate events. Exactly, yeah.
0: And so I saw that with the Isner match this weekend.
1: It was a volley that many of us recreational players have hit, just really bad. And you, you know, many of who?
0: When have you hit a volley in a match? Well, it didn't go
1: over. (laughs) No, I'm saying, (laughs) you know, when have you ever even been at net? No, but you're you're forced to net, and you're just not (laughs) in position, and you hit it wrong. You play a lot of drop shots, so I have no choice. Uh huh. Anyway, it was actually an exciting match. And Wu has had quite a journey to get here. He's a former junior world number one. He won the U.S. Open boys title in 2016 and has been kind of bubbling under for years, right? Was seen as this amazing prospect. And then he didn't play for almost three full years between 2019 and 2022 due to injuries, a surgery, due to COVID restrictions in his home country, And so 2022 has been this resurgence for him, marked by, you know, a third round at the U.S. Open, beating Basilashvili in the first round, playing Medvedev.
0: He's up to number 60 in the world, or top 60. He's cracked the top 60 with this result. You have here noted that he was coached by Sven Grenfeld before the injury hiatus, and that uh, Sven blamed Yibing's mom for the dissolution (laughs) Of their relationship.
1: Yes, you can always depend on Sven to uh to tell you some tea on Twitter, for better or worse, right? But this also shows what an exciting prospect he was and is, because this was pre-pandemic, and he managed to lock down a coach of Sven Grun's, Grunfeld's Grinfeld's caliber. Uh, he also worked with what's his name, Carlos Justine Enna's Martinez, longtime coach Martinez
0: Rodriguez. I think it's Rodriguez, yes.
1: Speaking of Carlos's, Uh, the most
0: famous in all of tennis (laughs) is back. Former world number one Carlos Alcaraz won his debut tournament of 2023. If you recall, he injured himself in practice leading up to the Australian Open, was unable to compete in that event, or any event for that matter. I saw reports that it was a hamstring injury. That required him to be out for a couple months. As is typical, he was back in Buenos Aires, beating Cam Nori in straight sets in the final. If Carlos wins this week in Rio, meaning he'd win back-to-back tournaments, he would have the same number of ranking points as Novak Djokovic. They would, in effect, be level on equal footing atop the ATP rankings, but... Novak Djokovic would retain the number one ranking and Carlos would be number two because a tiebreaker in that scenario is the player who has the most cumulative points based on the biggest events on tour, Masters 1000 and above. I did not know that.
1: I, I, I learned that today. I did not know that either. Thank you. We'll talk a bit more about Djokovic in a second. Are you happy that Carlos is back? Um,
0: I'm indifferent what do you think of or i should say what what difference does he make to the overall landscape of men's tennis
1: oh well he gives it a future okay he may not be my favorite player but he's he's different because we got two old guys hobbling around the court still winning there has to be a future
0: okay i don't think i got what i wanted <laughs> uh, from uh <laughs> I was looking for something a bit more expansive. Maybe that's just poor questioning on my part. A bit
1: more expansive? Mm Mm-hmm. Listen, it's February, and we got other shit going on, okay?
0: All right. Daniil Medvedev is back in the winner's circle as well. So in one weekend, two of the premier men's tennis players reasserted themselves.
1: That's his 16th career title. Yannick Sinner was the runner-up, having a great little indoor swing here, beating Stefano Tsitsipas at Rotterdam. Delray Beach, Florida. Taylor Fritz locks up that uh, imminent top five ranking. Number five ranking. Beating Ketsmanovic in the final.
0: Delray Beach was notable for uh, what some would describe as a feel-good story.
1: Yeah. A Croatian player named Matija Pekotic beat Jack Sock. Pekotich is ranked 784. He is a part time player. He works full time in finance for a real estate investment firm in South Florida. He has, you know, he was at one time a full time player on tour. He went through some horrible stuff in 2016. He had a surgery. He developed a staph infection following that surgery and he was basically bedridden for eight months. And that put a total hold on his tennis career he was a very successful college player before that after his tennis career essentially ended he applied to harvard he went to harvard business school became active with the tennis team at harvard and that kind of rekindled a love for the sport so he gave it another try
0: Mm -hmm. i think where i'm coming from when i said a so-called feel-good story is what his actual profession possibly entails
1: (laughs) (laughs) what Like private equity shit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's not like the grocer re- who's checking out your groceries <laughs> decided in a Hallmark film moment. So, well, you know what? I I I walked by the tennis racket in the attic the other day. And I was like, you know, I'm going to give it another go. And after my sh- my 10-hour shifts, I would take to the courts at night.
1: And here I am. Yeah, it's not like tiny Tim winning a tennis match. Uh if tennis doesn't work out for him, he's going to be okay. But this is uh,
0: this is the tennis version of that Hallmark moment, right? Of yes. course, like this would hope this would be how
1: it would look. Right. But uh he played somebody who has uh, benefited perhaps more than anyone in history from wild cards. Right. Another American player who's been around for a long time.
0: Instead and of Petros Sitzipas, Fight the real enemy. Exactly. Jack Sock.
1: Leave Petros alone. I'm talking
0: to you. No, I will not leave Petros <laughs> alone, but Jack Shue can also.
1: Yeah, Jack, he's still here. And, uh, I mean, he also gets selected for Labor Cup consistently because he is a very good doubles player. But his ranking and his recent performance doesn't justify that. But he is good at Labor <laughs> Cup. Just, like, not not really, this not really anywhere else. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Um. Is he good at Davis Cup? I don't know. To warrant being selected over the world number one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not good enough to
0: uh, reach the final of Davis. He has been given handout after handout after handout
1: in tennis. And Mattia handed out a loss. What's going on with Diego Schwartzman? I don't know. I hope you
0: have the answer because I I don't know. He's won one match since the U.S. Open. Oh. I don't know. I don't. I really don't know what's going on with him. He's 30 years old now, and somebody of his stature being diminutive, it becomes harder when you maybe lose a step in tennis to keep punching above your weight. He's ranked 38 now in the world, and I don't know. I don't know if this is a, a permanent decline for him or just a blip. Similarly, what is going on
1: with Garbinye Muguruza?
0: Every time we do a mailbag episode, this is a question that pops up.
1: Everybody wants to know, and I wish I knew. It doesn't seem like many people know what the hell is going on. Uh, she hasn't won a match this year. She pulled out of the uh, the Arab tournaments, didn't really cite a reason, so we don't know if it's injury or personal or what. Uh, she will drop out of the top 100 for the first time since 2013.
0: She also announced today that she's pulling out of The Sunshine Double. She's not playing Indian Wells, she's not playing Miami, and she's taking time off to try and recapture the magic. Okay. Not in as many words, but that's the gist of it.
1: Uh, I never like to prescribe what players should do, uh, you know, if they should change their coach or whatever, because we don't know really anything that goes on inside their camp. It seems like she is due for some kind of change, though. This is a woman who, uh, not even two years ago, was the champion at the WTA finals. What, 14 months ago? I sat in the spot
0: doing a Zoom press conference <laughs> asking her questions this time of year. Mm. It would have been Dubai, I think, two years in ago. 2021? When she was going through that purple patch to start the year. And it's been a long two years for Garbini. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not like you where I think, like, the, the obvious choice is to change coaches. No, I didn't say that. No, I mean, you've been hinting at it for a while on this show.
1: No, uh, clearly something needs to change. Right. I don't know if right. it's a coach or, right.
0: or right. what. But I think you you kind of think that.
1: You've said it off air. Have I? Y- yeah, yes. I would never do Conchita like that. <laughs> That's a... That Liza Manelli lies. Okay,
0: but... Gabine has gone through these types of stretches with previous coaches as well. This is not a oh, first-time yeah. thing.
1: Definitely. But this is the first time in 10 years that she's dropped out of the top 100. I think this is distinct from her other slumps.
0: Mm-hmm. Wishing her luck.
1: Legitimately. But, but sincerely not. Legitimately. Yeah. Novak Djokovic has tied... Steffi Graf for 377 weeks at number one. And I can't believe I just put it that way. It was more to point out, this is actually more of a question. Why are we comparing men's and women's records? When do we compare them? And for what? That's a genuine question's all. Because to me, well, I guess I'll sort of answer my own question. To me, this was not a comparison, right? It feels, and I could be wrong, that we compare men's and women's records only when the men do better.
0: Yeah, it's weighted differently. Because women's records, when compared to men, they're almost immediately dismissed. Even the greatest Serena Williams, her records, and you say, well, she did this and Nadal did this. And it's immediately dismissed because like, well... (laughs) right. Men are women's men are, te- women's men are is better just, athletes. It's easier. There's it's... better competition. Or <laughs> like, <laughs> but, but like obviously, like what are we even talking about? Like cute, cute that you want to do this, but everybody knows,
1: right? But the big three also they weren't chasing Martina and Chrissy's eighteen. They weren't chasing Steffi's twenty two. It was never talked about that way, right? No, I agree.
0: I'm mm. just, I'm be building on your point to yes. say that when men's records are then inversely compared to women, with Novak passing one of the women greats of all time, it's
1: almost like taking a dump on the record. <laughs> uh, because if you said, like, if Novak was currently at 350 weeks at number one, if you said, oh, Steffi had 377, you get, well, her chief rival was stabbed, the competition was trash, women's tennis is way super- inferior to men's tennis. I just, the comparison really rubs me the wrong way. It really does, because it was the headline for everything. And are we, are the men chasing Margaret Court's record? I think it's is what I want. It now. also
0: stems from a deep insecurity, really, <laughs> because I guarantee you. Serena is not out here chasing any of these little boys' records, you know? She's very secure in what she has and maybe allowed herself to get wrapped up in this Margaret Court mess and 24. But this is just like a, a, a tack-on, an unnecessary tack-on.
1: Like what, yeah. what?
0: It doesn't mean anything, it's so like why you, are you doing you it? You
1: passed the men's record along long ago, and that's an amazing achievement. The comparison is annoying. Uh, but I I genuinely wish the men luck. Someday you may be as great as Margaret Smith Court. You may not. Excuse me? Well, I mean, h- hold the same standard. <laughs> if those are the records, those are the <laughs> records. Uh, Novak is seeking an exemption into the U.S. for the Sunshine Double following news that the COVID restrictions will um, be loosened. The last time we recorded,
0: we had mentioned that this was happening, that the law was being changed. And we had said kind of, I think, matter-of-factly that, well, this will mean that he'll miss the Sunshine Double. But going forward, he'll be able to play in the U.S. And of course, not shortly afterward, we get word that Novak is seeking a special exemption. Now, as is often the case, we schedule our recording just before... The resolution of some news, right? So... <laughs> and this will be no different. Right. So by the time you listen to this episode, his press conference will have happened, and you will know what that was about. If I were to speculate, hazard a guess, I would presume that this press conference is one of two things. It's either to announce that the special exemption has been granted, or it's to play victim.
1: Or both. Uh, the Brit- oh, yeah,
0: or, or both. But I do think that it is... People are, are making fun of him saying, oh, here comes a press conference. Why do you got to do a press conference? Can't you just, like, answer stuff or put out a statement or blah, blah, blah? This makes sense. This makes sense to me. like get ahead of it. He is the one who did the social media post. Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'll be heading to Australia. Exactly.
0: But, um, and so this is not... For me, this is him not going down that road again.
1: Okay, I don't know. I if we've learned anything about Novak in the past three years is that he doesn't learn Oof. anything. No, I mean I'm being totally serious. No, I he he digs in. That's his mm-hmm. personality. Uh, so the British press is reporting that the press conference is going to cover more proof, quote unquote proof. About the hamstring not injury, the fucking hamstring. No, because shit again. he's bothered because oh some, God. you know, some big people in tennis were questioning the injury, so he's going to talk about the injury, and supposedly he's also going to talk about his plans in the U.S. So we still don't know if the exemption has been granted.
0: We're going to get the ruler out and count inches,
1: uh, right? I, I mean, a hamstring tear that is just not a big deal.
0: Uh, I I hope that the the image, the X-ray is legible. It's, it's you know, we can see and be able to measure just how many centimeters this hamstring like, was tore up.
1: Who cares? Take the Serena route where when she's. A, okay, okay. She was asked about the uh, therapeutic use exemption that she got in the 2015 French Open. No, listen, listen. Like spe- years-
0: speak up because I really want to hear you <laughs> ask me about my drugs. Exactly.
1: Right now. She's asked later about it, and she said, yeah. I want I want everyone to hear you ask me about my drugs. Why? Like why are you playing into this? You won the Australian Open, you were visibly hampered. Who cares? It's done. Like this doesn't the people who doubt you are not going to change their mind. But Certainly this is not. not how he operates, right? Like he he feels like he's been disadvantaged and disrespected in the media for years, which is which is true, especially the British media. But I just I just don't see how you can provide Reams and loads of proof and it won't be enough. I was like, what does Ream have to do with this? <laughs> Ream have a little... <laughs> reams? Leave her out of it. Anyway, I, I'm not a PR expert. I'm not a Novak Djokovic expert. He can do whatever he wants. I, In some ways, I don't blame him for applying for an exemption and see what happens. It's just at odds with... He said, you know, I'm I'm not getting vaccinated. I'm going to accept the consequences, whatever they are. And it's been like this parade, this media parade of not accepting the consequences, whatever they are. That's why we're talking about it, because he keeps talking about it. <sighs> a <laughs> uh, strange story. Su Wei has been away from tennis for quite a while. She planned to drop in and make a surprise return in Dubai. And apparently, the person responsible for securing her visa got it for the wrong country. Was that person hurt? I, know. <laughs> apparently, it was a travel agent. Dubai is in United Arab Emirates. I could hazard a guess maybe they got the visa for Qatar because, you know, their tournament's back-to-back. They're close by. Anyway, she couldn't go. We last saw
0: she at the twenty twenty one w t a finals, if I recall correctly, and she resurfaced on a practice court. We saw a video of her in a practice court the last couple of days' it's throughout this absence, which is now what like fifteen months, yeah, yeah, she's now thirty six thirty seven years old. She was coming off some of the best tennis in her entire life. There was speculation. Like, is she pregnant?
1: I feel like I thought that that was gospel at one point, but it's not. There have been persistent rumors about her being pregnant the the whole time. And so it's been 15 months. Clearly, no no baby happened. Uh, Mm -hmm. It only takes nine months. There was a social media post that... Where she seemed to indicate that she was pregnant, but I guess it was a joke. Uh, Or maybe it's possible that people lose pregnancies all the time. That is also possible. We don't know.
0: Her Wikipedia page says that she indicated at the WTA finals in 2019 that she was going to be taking some time off to recover from persistent injuries. Okay. Okay. So, given everything we know and don't know, that's what we have to default to at this point. Mm. And, and now I... she's coming back, presumably healthy. Or for a swan song. Or just a
1: laugh. <laughs> or a hit and a giggle. Either way, I'm sure she's not worried about it. Right. She's going to drop in. I mean, right now she's uh, in Paris doing doing tourist stuff.
0: <sighs> Yelena. Aliona. Ostapenko.
1: Mm, yes. You Do you want to talk about her tennis? I have a feeling that's not where this is going.
0: She's a defending champion in Dubai.
1: She is. I think you want to talk about her hair situation.
0: Because it's not enough for her to do the box braids in the offseason. Now she's bringing it to the <laughs> tournaments. This is a level of brazen cultural appropriation zero fucks given that it's unprecedented in tennis. Because we've had <laughs> many, many, many a young <laughs> Eastern European white woman go the touristy route and get the braids in the off-season. But Miss Astapenko has decided that it shall persist.
1: I wonder who does them. Uh, i Karolina Polishkova avoided a lot of smoke for that call me Africa thing. Because that was kind of fucked up, right? But people mostly thought it was funny. Are they box braids at this point? I don't even know. We're not experts, but they are They are tearing those follicles apart. I guarantee you. May her scalp
0: never know a moment's peace <laughs> at this point. They, They won't. It won't. I just don't understand. I don't understand why this is happening.
1: <laughs> Do you know her? Not it's, personally. No, but, I mean, this is, she does what she wants. She wears um, those kits. She's camp. Like, she is, she's just camp. Uh, this
0: is camp gone awry. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes. Now, be careful, because every time you talk about cultural appropriation of black hairstyles, you got to hear about the Vikings who had dreadlocks and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't want to hear it. I really don't. Not uh, the Vikings. <laughs> but those braids helped her get to the doubles final in Doha. I'm moving on from this. Oh, anyway, and, uh, yeah, this is just an excuse to say that Goff and Bagula won the doubles title, repeated there in Doha.
0: There is no room at the Coco Goff Inn for Kaita McNally anymore.
1: No, she has, uh, as Sierra said, leveled up.
0: Hmm. Chris Eubanks just missed out on a, a first entry. A debut, if you will, into the ATP top 100 rankings.
1: The the live tennis site had him at 100, a new career high. Unfortunately, that was only the hypothetical.
0: As the week progressed, I say we, if you're interested or invested in, in Chris achieving this. We needed Radu Albat and or Stan Wawrinka to lose. Wawrinka did albat did not when he had to and so it is not to be at the moment but he remains on the bubble chris's come up is still percolating (laughs) there's still momentum
1: this week as we said on now is dubai the 1000 level tournament on the women's side there is a new 250 in merida and I,
0: i totally did not pronounce that properly earlier
1: Oh, that's okay. There's an accent on the E.
0: It was written without the accentation. <laughs> I, I do speak Accentation? Some, yeah, I do speak a fair bit of Spanish. I would have been able to pronounce okay. it properly we, otherwise. We
1: actually went to a restaurant in Mexico called Merida, mm. which served Yucatan food, which was one of the best meals of my life.
0: That was our last meal yeah. in Puerto Vallarta, no? Yes.
1: Uh, really exciting that Mexico is getting another tournament Love to see more tournaments in Latin America. There are very few places on the calendar where Latin American fans get to enjoy tennis. On the men's side, we've got a 500 in Rio de Janeiro and two 250 events in Doha and Marseille. And this is the time, like this this week before Dubai and before you get in the Sunshine Double. The men are spread out into three different tournaments. The draws are manageable. It's a good time to, like, get a title. Manageable, you say? I, I mean, I feel like that's it could a... be worse you know could I've be seen tougher those draws
0: described differently
1: well the rio draw aside from carlos is very weak i prefer manageable
0: <laughs> i think this is one case where charitable goes a long way oh okay
1: way. oh you thought i was being nicer yes oh i see okay yeah
0: you're like wow that's you should never assume that <laughs> <laughs> right. i'm going to ch- call you out here now and hopefully this will Get your ass in gear. That Serena episode that we've been promising, I've been working on the agenda. You have? have, You have not. What, in secret? You have access to the agenda.
1: You haven't checked. Mm, Fuck. This week we're writing postcards. And then we also have to do research on the Serena episode. I'm saying this on air to, to give myself some accountability.
0: That's why I brought it up. Okay, okay. Because if you get your shit together, it could be the next episode. All right. Or the one after that.
1: Let's do it or we could just skip Indian Wells coverage because i do not care about that oh my tournament. God. So why not? Oh my
0: god. <laughs> not this again. Well, everybody not knows for this the ninth time. Uh, <laughs> We're going to finish this episode with a a segment called Things We Like/Dislike. I'm sure there's mo- there must be a more clever it, right. way to to name this segment.
1: Honestly, it's not the most exciting title, but it, it's straight to the point. And we've used it many times before. You had something on here just uh, that had no place, so I, I put it in a segment. And I will add to it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know why. Because this there, this there was... has been obsessing you.
0: You're one to talk. You obsess about shit all the time. <laughs> Your favorite talking points, they're talked about Ad nauseam, all yeah, the time. But there Morning, are... noon, night, in your dreams, while you're <laughs> sleepwalking. <laughs> like, up. it'll be 4 a.m. and you just come down the stairs. And you know what? John Tory and, and the transportation <laughs> system. It's
1: just a complete mess in Toronto. But those are really important things. And this is not? Well, let let the people decide. Ask the audience.
0: Hmm. So we went out for our anniversary dinner. When was this? Well, I know the date. I don't think we need to tell people the date. No, they don't don't
1: need to know how long. It was like
0: a week and a half Mm ago-ish. And it's, at this point, one of our favorite spots in Toronto. And so I came home and looked at the reviews for the place. And I was surprised that they only had like a 4.2, 4.3-ish out of five on Google, which is still very good,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but it's like, what what could possibly be wrong? As somebody who is a server who's worked, we both worked in restaurants for many years. Yeah. What are What are the pitfalls here for the ownership of this restaurant? And I came across while well, I was looking for the one star reviews for you know Nancy and Chad, who had a terrible <laughs> outing. Not Nancy. <laughs> I came across a four-star review. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm always kind of intrigued by the four-star reviews because, like, what makes you take off the Mm one-star? Because we get them, too, for the podcast. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, a four-star review generally implies that you're having a pretty good time. You're enjoying quite a bit. So what is it? And so I'm looking for the one thing that would have been the deduction right mm-hmm. you you look up you research hotels when you're traveling and often the one star is because of the breakfast <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh my god Where it's good to know because we don't care about the breakfast i don't give a, we a never, fuck we would never we would never give the breakfast your so. eggs your runny ass eggs your cornflakes no right but also we just don't eat in the morning so yeah. if the only pitfall is breakfast don't care
0: okay yeah but i'm just saying people love to talk about breakfast in hotel reviews they do it, it's
1: it's wild today. i don't go to new cities for the hotel breakfast anyway
0: I... so i find this review <laughs> and there is not one complaint not one not a one everything is glowing not only that the author compels torontonian's To support this business, it is COVID. Restaurants are struggling. Businesses are closing. The economy is in a shambles. Support small businesses. Four stars.
1: That's what Mr. Four Star said.
0: Yes. Yeah. So what? It drove me up the wall. Like, I wanted to (laughs) destroy that review physically if I Uh could. Like, what are you doing? Who are you that you feel so protective of this imaginary one star? (laughs) So what are you holding on to that one star for? It's not like you're a teacher or professor and you're grading on a curve or you're grading whatever blah, blah, blah essays. You're like, well, maybe that five star essay is going to come into my inbox next week. And I can't give that four star today (laughs) because next week... What am I going to do? This is... This is it. You enjoy the restaurant. You enjoy... Everything is impeccable. You want people to support them because you care deeply that they stay in business. Give the five fucking stars. Like, it it made me so (laughs) angry. Are you going to be okay? It made me so... I very... You know, I I don't often get worked up about things. But when I do... Oh, really?
1: When I do... I feel like the listeners of the show would beg to differ. Right. But when I do... So that's yeah. my rent. Uh,
0: and I also have here drop
1: dead. That's nice. It's a nice touch. So your issue was with the fact that the the review itself was uniformly positive. Yes. It was glowing even. Yes. But they declined to give five stars.
0: Your stated intent is to help these people. <laughs> to help
1: this restaurant. Then you got to give the five stars. Like, what are you doing? I think people have this idea that it will ruin the integrity of... Of their scoring system, if they give five stars, like dude, nobody. You know, is I should have done some more. Following re- you,
0: I should have done some research, clicked on their name, and see how many <laughs> restaurants they're reviewing because they're probably these people who consider themselves foodies.
1: But you're not the Michelin Guide. Just give the five stars. I get it. I wasn't uh, as worked up as you are, but uh, yeah, it's like a professor who says I don't give A's. It's like, well, why not?
0: And uh, your contribution Well, I to actually this? have
1: a thing I like. Because I felt like I knew that yours was going to be a lot of dislike. Mm. So I, I'm going to counter with something I like. Or a few things. I won't get in too deep into it. I have been loving steel-cut oats. Which is so uh, depressing, to say out loud. But I read that it's really good for your gut microbiome. Mm. Which is good for everything. Right, At pretty much every system in your body, it's good for, uh, and it doesn't taste that bad.
0: This is such a ringing endorsement.
1: I, I mean, you do have to put something in it. I put like syrup, not maple. I don't like maple syrup, even though I'm in Canada. I like the fake stuff that Americans eat. You know
0: that. I simple mm. table syrup, as you say, syrup.
1: <laughs> yes, I have also been re-watching or watching for the first time. Uh, the early seasons of ER. They're all available on Amazon Prime. And I had, when I was younger, I had seen episodes here and there, but it was past my bedtime and it was kind of, I was too young for it when it, when it first came out. The show is just so high quality. I would, if, if you grew up in a Grey's Anatomy world, please watch ER.
0: I grew up in a Chicago Hope household.
1: Oh, welfare. I've never seen it, but I've heard it's very good mandy patinkin Mm -hmm. mandy patinkin who uh famously couldn't stay at a show for longer than one season
0: until homeland
1: (laughs) and what else we've been watching the last of us i have never played the game i don't even know what a narrative video game is to be totally honest loving the show because it's right up my alley i love dystopian fiction love and even more Love it when it has something to do with a disease. Oh my God. I do. I'm reading The Stand right now. I know. I know. The Stand will be the longest book I've ever read once I finally get
0: through it. I just don't understand why, given everything you know about me and my viewing habits, you are so insistent that we watch this together. (laughs) You basically guilted me into watching this. Because
1: I'm tired of watching shows alone. This is a zeitgeist show. People are talking about it. Don't you want to be part of that? Not
0: when it's this. I am not enjoying it at all. (laughs) At all. It is
1: horrifying. Okay, so you have talked about two things you don't like. Is there anything you do like?
0: That's unfair, because the second dislike was a reaction to yours. Like, you brought it out of me. Like, you should have known better. I was baited into that. But, (laughs) I will say that I really like green beans
1: great- mm-hmm. I wish I did i can't i cannot stomach them
0: they're one of the cheapest vegetables you can buy they last a fair bit of time and I just love the taste I don't even need it garliced or buttered or seasoned like simply blanched i i love the natural flavor of green beans and I know that that is a nightmare for you <laughs>
1: i'm fighting the urge to retch right now mm.
0: what was it you said to me today i i came home oh i came home from bath and body works because we were out of soap we like to use the foamy kind the, foamy, the foamy kind and i told you that i got a deal that was seven for 29 mm-hmm. and what did you say did the, i mess the, up the, the two things that are uh, i said recession it was proof? it was
1: like four dollars a Get this, no, this I is, thought I um, messed up my times tables. No, no, no. I'm
0: saying I'm leading <laughs> oh, you to this. I said, said so- the
1: thing, the two things that are recession-proof, apparently, are potatoes and Bath and & Body Works.
0: Hand soaps. <laughs> at l- at the very <laughs> yes. least, That brings us to the end of episode 293, of uh, maybe a, a final or a penultimate call for you to hit us up with your addresses. Again, if you donated last year... Or in Previous years, and we had your address on file, then you still need to update us because we don't want to send, take the chance of sending something somewhere that's not up to date. And we hope to have that whole process completed, everything in the mail by the end of February.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's doable.
0: So if you've donated 75 and above, 75, 150, 250, those were the three tiers, hit us up with your address and we will. Do what we said we would. Are we still being? Oh well, vague I mean, the because of close,
1: right. Seventy-five was a postcard. One hundred and fifty was uh, something from our body surf store, and two hundred and fifteen above is a copy of Suzanne by Tom Humberstone. I swear we do. We are not getting a cut of this. We just like the book and think the tennis fans would like it,
0: and also would like to support Tom. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks again to everybody who supported us with this GoFundMe campaign. So appreciated. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John.
1: And I'm James. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm, I think I'm quitting Twitter. It sucks. You're on LinkedIn. <laughs> LinkedIn. Don't look me up. <laughs> well, now you know people are know. definitely going to look you up. I know. There are a lot of James Rogers on LinkedIn.
0: Okay. What is your Twitter handle? J M Two L's, two T's. You can find everything BodyServe related at linktree.com slash thebodyserve. Thanks for listening.
1: Till next time. Thank Thank you. Thank you very much.